Good morning. My name, I'm actually Lewis. I see you, Ted. Uh, I, it, is, it is a joy to be with you. My name is Lewis Lovett. I'm the Reformed University campus minister at Washington and Lee, so I want to welcome you all here, especially uh, students and families who are here visiting this weekend. It is wonderful to see you. Got to see some of you yesterday, uh, and it's a joy to have you together uh, as we worship here at Grace Press this morning. We are continuing the series in the Gospel of John. And, and as, we, as we come to John, we are, we are coming because according to John, uh, it is through these, these accounts that we might know that Jesus is God's son and that we might have life in his name. And, and that's what we are hoping for and that's what we are praying for as we, as we come to, to God's word. We spent the first two weeks looking uh, at the, the prologue to John 1 and we saw sort of this big cosmic picture of Jesus Christ as the eternal word, as the light that brings light to darkness that darkness cannot overcome. And this word has become flesh and dwelt among us. And then we get a little closer to Jesus last week as we encounter John the Baptist, this wonderful and mysterious prophetical character in the beginning of John's gospel who points away from himself, even though he has come, for a particular purpose, a particular mission. But he says, I'm not the Christ. And he points to Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Justin talked last week about this, this idea of the, the Lamb of God, of the Messiah, the one that God sends to redeem his people and to bring the spirit that gives life and knowledge of God. And so we've seen him uh, big picture cosmic, and then last week we saw him from a distance. And then this week we get to see the very first uh, words of Jesus, the first encounter with this word made flesh, this lamb of God. So if you would read along with me, uh, the, the passage is printed in your order of worship, or you can find it in your Bible. We're in John 1, starting in verse 35 through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us 
because he loves us. You pray with me, please, and we'll get started. Father in heaven, I'm grateful for this chance to gather and to worship, and I'm thankful for the goodness of your word. And we need it because we want to know you so that we might have life in your name. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd be at work through it, through John 1 right now, so that we might know you and love you more and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I met Maggie, my wife, on August 27th, 2006. Uh, it's, a, it's a day I will, I will not soon forget. We, were, uh, we met over ice cream with some friends in Knoxville, where I'm from, and sparks were flying. Electricity was in the air as we hung out and had our stone-cold creamery. And we ended up going back to uh, my friend Katie's house. Katie is the mutual friend who kind of set Maggie and I up. And Maggie and I ended up sitting in Katie Flynn's parents' living room until 3 in the morning talking. Talking about uh, what we love, talking about Jesus, talking about the adventures that we hoped for our life. It was a, it was a pretty sweet, sweet night. And, and, I, and I left and I met up with Maggie and Katie and Katie's boyfriend, Matt, the next morning at Cracker Barrel. And then Maggie left to go back to Virginia, a state I had not spent much time in. And uh, as she was leaving, I said, you know, Ma Maggie, uh, can I call you? And she said, uh, I think I'd like you to call me. And I threw up in my mouth a little bit. And I said, I'll, I'll call you on your way home. And so I went back to my house, and I just paced back and forth for an hour and a half, checking, my, checking the time about every 18 seconds until what a sort of casual amount of time had gone by. And, and I called Maggie, and I said hello, and she said, what are we doing? What are we doing? Have you ever been asked a question so profound and so overwhelming that it shook you and you didn't know what to say? What are we doing? Uh, when I get insecure, I try to make jokes. So I said, we're talking on the phone? <laughs> as we come to, the, to the, this section of John 1, as we come to the very beginning of these encounters with Jesus, these signs of Jesus, these conversations with Jesus that, that John is, is full of, we get to the first words of Jesus, which are a question. And there are a question like, what are we doing, that seems like a simple question, but it's a kind of question that has all these other questions inside of it. Maggie didn't just want to know what we're doing. She's asking me, are you serious about pursuing me? Are you interested in having a romantic relationship? Like, what are your hopes and intentions for this? Are you just going to mess around because it's fun to call somebody but never actually show up? Like, she wants to know. And Jesus has this question that seems pretty basic. What are you seeking? But it is pregnant with meaning and with power. And as we look at this question from Jesus, and as we see the encounter that follows in, in these, these two days, we actually see the heart of Jesus. And, and there's three things from this that I want to point out that we see in Jesus. The first is a revelation from Jesus. The second is an invitation from Jesus. And the third is transformation by Jesus. A revelation, an invitation, and transformation. So first, a, a revelation from Jesus. John the Baptist points out Jesus again, just like he had done the day before. Calls him the Lamb of God. And for some reason, this time, the two disciples who are with him, they, they leave and they follow after Jesus down the streets of Bethany. And Jesus turns and asks them, what are you seeking? And, and I say revelation because I think what this question does is this question reveals something about what it means to be a person. 
Because it turns out Jesus is asking what is the most fundamental question to what it means to have an identity as a man, woman, or child. What are you seeking? Jesus is revealing that fundamentally what we are is people who are seeking. We are seeking something. We are after something. We have a desire or many desires of our hearts. And those desires are the thing that motivate and animate everything else that we do. Now, not everyone agrees with this. This means that we're not fundamentally people who think things. We're not fundamentally people who do things. We're not fundamentally even people who believe things. We're fundamentally people who are seeking after something, who are longing for something, who are desiring something. And I think it's true of of every human. And, And that's why Jesus asked this question. It's Because it's the first words he says in the Gospel of John, I think we need to pay special attention to them. Jesus, when he says, what are you seeking, he's not saying, where are you headed? He's not saying, do you know any good spots for lunch on the way to Bethsaida? that's, That's not what he is saying. He knows that they are motivated by these desires, that they are seeking after something. And when he calls the next two disciples, the next day, he doesn't ask them what they're seeking, but you can tell that they've been seeking something, right? He goes to to Philip and he says, follow me. And Philip just gets up and goes after him, which is a little strange. And he goes to his friend Nathaniel and says, we found him. The one of whom Moses and the law and the prophets spoke to Messiah, we, we found him. These are two people who have been seeking, who have been longing, who have been desiring to know God and to understand how God is going to fulfill his promises to redeem his people. They're they're seekers. He says, I saw him today, the one we've been seeking. I, I think it's important to remember when you come to a story like this where people just get up and follow Jesus, that Jesus didn't look special. He didn't have a halo. He, wasn't, he didn't have a nimbus of blue glowing power around him. He's just a man. Looks like every other brown-skinned Palestinian who you would have seen walking down the streets in Bethany. But when you encounter Jesus, something about that seeking, desiring, longing part of your heart is inflamed. It comes alive. It's amplified. The, the difficult thing for us here is that we are actually seeking after lots of things. And we're actually seeking after lots of things that distract us and deter us from the one true prize that we should be seeking after, which is, of course, Jesus himself. And so I think he wants these two disciples, and I think he wants you and me to stop here and to pay attention to what we are seeking. What are you seeking? What are those longings of your heart that are animating and motivating everything else in you do? Is it, is it resume prestige? Is it financial security? Is it a grade point average? Is it popularity and esteem from the people around you? Is it epic experiences or comfort and ease or power and influence? What are you seeking? To follow Jesus means to pay attention to your own heart Because he's revealing that we're fundamentally people who seek. That's his revelation in this question. So that's the first thing, a revelation. The second thing is an invitation from Jesus. And one of the things that I love about this encounter with Jesus is that his invitation is not dependent on how well they answer his question. It's actually remarkable how inadequately these two men answer the question of Jesus. They do just what I did with Maggie. 
They don't know what to say. They're overwhelmed. They're confused. They don't know the right answer, so they just say something. What are you seeking? Where are you staying? This is a, let's be clear, this is a cop-out answer. They have failed to answer the question. They have not told him about the desires and longings of their heart, which is what Jesus is after. And what's Jesus' response? This is the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful lines in the Bible. Verse 39, come and you will see. You haven't answered correctly. You don't really know what I'm talking about. Come and you will see. That's the invitation from Jesus. Come and you will see. He doesn't say wrong answer. He doesn't say try again. Come and you will see. Jesus asks you to examine the deepest places of your heart. He challenges you to bring that truthfully with him. And when you mess it up and when you blow it and when you give an inadequate answer, that's okay. His invitation to you still stands. Whatever you say in that moment, or if you don't say anything at all, it's enough. Because he wants you to come to him. And he wants you to see. And the, the next day, when, he, when Jesus comes to Philip and he, he skips the question, he just says, follow me. I almost feel like, this is not in the text, he, he's trying to spare him that awkward moment. No one knows what to do with this question, so I'm just going to get right to the chase. Come. Follow me. Come, and you will see. Jesus is inviting us to set all of our seeking on him. All of our longings, all of our desires, all of our searches, all of our questioning. He's inviting us to bring it all to him. And he's making the claim that he alone is the one who can handle your desires. He alone is the one who can handle your seeking. He's the one who, when you seek him, you can actually find the joy and the peace, and the purpose, and the fulfillment, and the satisfaction that you want, that you're seeking after, that God has actually designed you to live for. It's in him. And the good news of the gospel is that the the posture of Jesus, the word made flesh, the son of God, the one in whom is all life and light, his posture towards you is always one of invitation. He is always saying to you, come and you will see. Come and see, come and see. Which means that if you're convinced that Jesus doesn't really have anything to offer you and you're okay on your own, he is saying to you, come and see. And if you are overwhelmed by all the different things that you're seeking and you're not sure where you should be heading in your life, his invitation to you is come and see. And if you feel like your heart is cold, and dead, and tired, and there's not really anything that you're after anymore. His invitation to you is to come and see. And if you love God and you want more of him, his invitation to you is come and you will see. The invitation is for you, and it's, it's for everyone, but it's a loaded invitation. And, and here's the reason why it's loaded, is because people who heed this invitation, who come and see, they're changed. We've got the revelation, we've got the invitation, and now lastly this morning, the the transformation. People who come to Jesus are changed forever. And and there's sort of a a big picture here. We know know that the 12 disciples were changed, right? These people who actually come and follow after him. We know that they actually leave their nets, and they leave their tax-collecting tables. They change vocations. They follow after him for years. But I want to look at this, the specific craziness of the transformation that happens in, in this passage. Andrew, 
brings Simon, his brother Andrew, one of the disciples of John the Baptist, who, who follows after Jesus. He goes and he gets Simon. And Jesus says to him, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. That's a pretty weird first interaction with someone, isn't it? Can you imagine if our new pastor, Justin, came and I met him and I said, hi, and he says, you are Lewis. You will be called Fred. <laughs> he can't do that. That's not who I am. But when you come to Jesus, when you come to the one in whom is life and light, your identity changes. It alters. Because who he is and what he's about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, becomes what you are about. Uh, as we get to the, to the next section, Philip, the next day, he calls Nathaniel, and he says to him the same words that Jesus said before, come and see. And Nathaniel resists, and they have this little argument. Nathaniel knows the Bible. He knows that prophets don't come from Nazareth, but eventually he comes anyways, and he meets Jesus. And basically, Jesus tells him something that he couldn't know. He knows who he is, and he knows what he was doing when he didn't see him. And Nathaniel's transformed. This person who's been resisting and arguing, he, he breaks forth. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That's transformation. And if you're anything like me, you know that if you could momentarily, like in one instant, switch from complaining and bickering to joy and praise, it takes an act of the spirit of God. That's actually a transformation. When you come and see Jesus, you will be transformed. But it, it won't be the ways that you think it will. When you come to Jesus, we want all of our questions to be answered, and they aren't always answered. And we come to Jesus, and we want the old things we struggled with to go away, but they don't always go away. And when we come to Jesus, we want all of our problems to be solved, and they aren't always solved, but we are changed. We are transformed. Because the love of God starts to seep into our bones. The presence of Jesus softens our hearts so that we actually can experience him and his love and his mercy and his goodness and his truth and his beauty more and more. And our hearts and our lives start to represent that around us. The Bible calls this the fruits of the Spirit, is what Paul says. So things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, they start to bubble up in us. That's a transformation you cannot do that on your own. You can't start to try to have more gentleness. Only God can do that as he changes you. And the way he changes you is that you come and see, and he does everything else. So what do we do with this? The, the, the first thing I want to challenge you with by way of application this morning is, is to try to stop and to pay attention to that question, what are you seeking? And I think it can be a hard question to ask in the big picture, like existentially, what are you seeking? I don't think we know how to answer that. So what, what I want to suggest is that you try to ask yourself this question in little moments and try to answer. You're walking across the bridge to Waddell. What are you seeking? What are you hoping for? What are you longing for today? You're meeting a friend for breakfast. What are you seeking? You're changing a diaper. What are you seeking? You're meeting with your employees. What are you seeking? You're going on a date. What are you longing for? Start to pay attention to your heart in the little moments of your life. Jesus challenges us and wants us to pay attention. Your desires are real and they are good. But we point them towards the wrong things if we don't pay attention to them. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, that if you're not really sure what you're seeking, come and see. 
Come and see Jesus. Uh, if you don't know what that means, it means asking a pastor or an elder at this church or a friend to coffee. Uh, it means opening up your Bible. One of the things that we believe, that Christians believe about the Bible, if you're not a Christian, you may not understand this. We actually believe that you can see and know Jesus, the real person, through the pages and words of this book. Because they're his words. And if you want to know where to start, I think John would be a really good place to start. But that's what we're doing as a church. We're reading through John. I would invite you, if you want to come and see Jesus, read, read John. You could even try a prayer. You could see if anyone is listening. Someone's listening. The, the other thing I'd say uh, is that one of, the, one of the lovely parts of this passage is that the invitation in John 1 is a thing that is contagious and a thing that multiplies. Jesus invites Andrew to come and see, and what does he do? He goes and gets Simon, his brother. Jesus tells Philip to follow him, and he goes and brings Nathaniel. People who want to come and see Jesus want other people to come and see Jesus. So I, I'd invite you to consider who is it in your life who you might invite to come along with you to come and to see Jesus. Whoever you're thinking of, they are seeking. They are seeking after something. With all of their heart, they are. And we want to show them the right place, the place where they're seeking can find rest and satisfaction and goodness and joy. When Maggie asked me that difficult and penetrating and revealing question, what are we doing? I, I blew it. I botched it. I fumbled it. But thankfully, there was also an invitation in that question. <laughs> and as I, as I stumbled through my words, and as we kept talking, this invitation turned into a relationship. And it grew, and it grew, and of course it's still growing. Jesus longs for you to come to him. And as you come to him, that desire in your heart is amplified by him and your longing to know him grows more and more and more and you experience him more and more and more and you begin to walk not with an idea of him or a belief in him, but in a relationship with the only one who can tell you who you really are and with the one who invites you to come and see him and the only one who has the power to transform you. And I can promise you he will do this because Jesus promises you he'll do this. I want to end this morning by, by a quote that, that Jesus says in a different place, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is probably the most famous bit of writing in the history of mankind. This is what Jesus says about this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You don't have to be afraid of what will happen if you knock. You don't have to be afraid of what will happen if you seek. You can come and see. Come and see Jesus who loves you. And no matter how badly you fumble through the door he opens, he receives you with open arms of love and mercy. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you know who we are. And we praise you that you call us and invite us to come to you. And we long to be transformed in your presence. Thank you that you promise you will do this. Give us courage. Lord, even now as we come to your table, remind us of the goodness and love of your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.